It's the Behind the Dish Podcast with John Buck. All right, that's like the official, you know, it's on now. Let us know. I just, I just want to click it now because I just feel like uh, Todd and I are going to be able to get in here and rap. Absolutely. I, I mean, one, we're just both hind catchers, right? What are, yeah. the, what, what are the other terms? Uh, Tony Pena, who was kind of like my mentor growing up, well, once I got drafted with Kansas with uh, Houston, he was he was my guy, right? He was my as soon as I went into the system, he was there. He was going early morning with Raul Chavez and Osmus, and so I was like, oh, I'm I'm with this guy, right? Because yeah. is Tony Pena. So, and he used to always call me Cowtel, and I kind of just was like, oh, okay, this Latin guy just calling this big old white kid a Cowtel. <laughs> like, what's going on? And then I was like, all right, because it's you hear all the other catcher phrases, what we're called, but he called, he's like, and then finally, like a year into it, two years later, I was like, dude, what's a Cowtel? He goes, you finally ask. I was like, I'm like, you can call me whatever you want. You're Tony Pena, right? And so, uh, and I go, well, what's a cow tell? He goes, well, dude, it's the most important job. It's like a catcher. And I was like, well, why is it that? And he goes, because it wipes up all the shit off, off the butt. And if it doesn't, that cow dies. But it's not, you know, it's not labeled the most important thing. But if that, that shit hardens on that butthole, that cow's dead. So it wipes it up. So I was like, oh, perfect. I, I, I love that description as a catcher. And I like being a cow tail. I've never heard that one. That's amazing. That's awesome. So if if you're around Tony Payne, he, he calls, and it's funny. He kind of after I start, started realizing, he would pick out his cowtails. So if he's calling you cowtail, he likes you. That was a good sign, right? Yeah, and and he he ended up being my first manager in Kansas City. So when he was over in Kansas City, that's that's who I kind of came through. But um, why don't Todd, why don't you give so that everybody knows, because I just listened to your recent podcast that you did, uh, the one you just did, which just to do a little more research on you, right? I, I, could, I could visually see a lot of your uh, platforms and stuff, and you've done some camps here, and kids that are coming to me were, are like, well, Todd said this, thus for the, for the conversation. Sure. Um, but t- go ahead, before we dive into it, give me, give me kind of the rundown in the history of you so our, our listeners know. Uh, how far back you want me to go? To go all the way back. We got nothing but time. Andrew Catcher, so I'm interested in the whole gamut because I catchers are we're different in the brain. You have to be different. Again, we like being called cowtel. And I think there's a there's a history of that because I'm interested in the person. It because also how you how you were describing how you had to humble yourself before you did a talk on your receiving. Yeah. I feel like I'm there. Like I have this history, major leaguer, all-star all, that you would think, but I'm coming to you for some advice here on some stuff that I'm questioning. So it's, I think that creates that like to be able to do that, it's a special person. Sure. And so I think that develops when you're young. So I, I want to know all of it. Time. Gotcha. Well, I just say, about me personally, I think I, I have a pretty unique story in that uh, I always put it this way. I'm a coach who should have made it as a player and didn't. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, I think there's something to say about the guys who didn't make it. You know what I mean? I never, I, I played some minor league ball, played some indie ball, 
um, didn't, couldn't get the mental grind, um, couldn't deal with the failures that are, you know, that are built into the game. And, uh, again, guys like yourself that are still able to teach the game that played at the highest level. That's one thing for the guys who didn't make it like myself. There is a lot of lessons I can pass on to, uh, to the kids that I work with, you know, around the country. So, um, uh, a little history on myself. I'm, I'm, I'm in Reno, Nevada right now, actually just outside of Reno. I'm a country boy. We're out here in the country, just outside of Reno, a little town called Washoe Valley. Um, I was, uh, drafted by the Houston Astros out of high school. Um, drafted by the Houston Astros again out of junior college, turned them down both times. I wasn't a big draft pick. I thought I could get bigger, better, stronger. And, and what, what, what scout before you go further? Cause I might forget this. What scout drafted you? Do you remember uh, that? This was, crush? It was 1990. Um, uh, uh, Wheeler, uh, Wheeler? Tom, okay. Tom Wheeler. Okay. Yeah. Do you know Tom? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. He, he jumped over, I think when the Rockies came, Yeah. Uh, he, he switched over from just an area scout for the Astros to like a cross checker. Yeah. Area yep. supervisor, cross checker for the Rockies. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he, uh, he drafted me both times and then I was never drafted again. I actually ended up signing out, uh, signing with the Phillies. Um, uh, just that, you know, as a free agent out of a, out of basically a workout, I played one year of indie ball, got invited to go to this little workout tryout type deal um hit a few over the fence put a few good throws on the bag and they and they signed me basically gave me a plane ticket and, and took me out to florida mm-hmm. um again and and i obviously you know the game i think free agent guys are, are kind of roster fillers and it, you better you better blossom quickly or uh um at least stay consistent or, or they're just going to bring someone else yeah, yeah you gotta you gotta wow them yeah 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 and that didn't happen for me i had a, i had a i had a great year in rookie ball um awesome spring amazing spring training uh in between rookie and, and when i went up to uh, south atlantic league um but uh just, again just couldn't couldn't deal with the failures and and uh wasn't really the best teammate um a lot of uh, temper tantrums, and they just. You know. Do you think? Do you think that was because of the the stress load that you had on what you what you knew you had to overcome? Yeah, we, like you said, if if so, we paint this for people that don't quite get it. Like you have to overachieve one to get notice, have numbers, and then someone's going to say, "Yeah, we got this high draft pick, but this kid won't go away." That's basically we and you. Obviously, being an educated, do you think not being the good teammate, not doing – is that part of those failures that you're talking about? Yeah, 100%. I think what it came down to for me was uh, I, I was a perfectionist, and, and you can't be a perfectionist in baseball. I mean, it, it, it's a good quality to have because it really – I worked my butt off because I wasn't, I wasn't very good growing up. I, I, I tell this story all the time at my camps. I wasn't an all-star growing up. I wasn't, I was, I love baseball. There's nowhere else I'd rather be than on a baseball field. I just wasn't very good at it. I was pretty athletic, but I just, I wasn't very good. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I worked my butt off to, to get there. And uh, again, if, if, if I smoked the first ball, you know, my first at bat got a good hit. I'd usually have a two for four, three for four, day if i struck out popped up rolled over on one got fooled i'd get so frustrated and frazzled in my head i'd go up the next time thinking you know i hope i don't strike out again don't pop up you know instead yeah. of focusing on what i want to do i'd focus <laughs> on what i didn't want to do and then if i wasn't perfect if something didn't go you know something went haywire um just my personality and my perfectionism in me just i'd get frazzled frustrated and and uh you know as a guy who played at a high level you, you can't play with fear. You can't play with frustration. It just, I started overthrowing, over swinging. Um, 
one game in particular too, on, on kind of a side note to this, uh, that kind of was a dagger in the heart or whatever you want to call it. I had a career day. We were in Asheville. I was three for four, hit a home run, a mm-hmm. couple of doubles, had like four RBIs, uh, two, I uh, threw two guys out a second, um, just a career day. And then I sat for like the next week because the, the seventh rounder and the 11th rounder needed to get innings because the Rover mm-hmm. was down. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so and that what, was, that's what I was saying. <laughs> yeah. That would, that was, uh, that in my brain, it just didn't, I'm like, what the heck? I just, I just had this career day. I'm hot. Why don't, is it about winning? Is it about the business? Is it about getting innings for the prospects? You know, what is it? And for me personally, my personality just didn't jive with that. And, uh, yeah, just it, it, it's the, I, I lasted about a, a season and a half with the Phillies, played a little bit more indie ball, and then just uh, found my passion working with kids. Um, it was about 20 years ago, and that's what I've been doing ever since. I've been doing camps and, and clinics and lessons and coaches clinics and that kind of stuff for, uh, for a living for 20 years now. Um, again, just the, uh, the mental game, man. It was my ultimate demise of my playing career. But again, it's a lot of really good lessons I get to pass on to the kids now. Yeah, I, I've noticed too when you talk, and it's funny. This is why I said I want I want the whole gamut because I want to I want to find out why you're such a good instructor. Why do you keep coming up? One around my area, uh, one talking to big league coordinators and and catching guys that I've been talking to, like high level guys. And I I because your name comes up, I've asked him, hey, do you know this Todd guy? The the yeah, I've seen him. You do you do a good job on social media, but also the things that you're preaching and, and talking are uh, are good. And I think one of the things that sticks out is you do bring up the mental game. You do say a lot of things that I'm like, okay, yeah, check. That's what I believe in. That's how I operate. I can see that. That's how I was successful. Um, so I wanted to kind of find out what you're about. And that kind of explains it. I had an idea in my head because you've been, I, you know, I've been around some catchers myself (laughs) and uh, seeing why they've been successful or not, but some, some don't make good coaches, you know, they, uh, they're not good for whatever reason. And even guys that have been higher level, you guys have been lower, but um, I think your strength is, is you going through that. And this is the epitome of, I think a good catcher is, those things that were probably your faults in teaching, I think they're, they're becoming your strengths, the way you talk, you articulate and, and you get through to kids. And some of that stuff is the mental discussions that you, which you, I've looked on some of your platforms that you do and you cover uh, and you're a part of, is it called bat and stick, stick and bat? I may be screwing up dyslexia. Stick and ball TV is another okay. platform that I'm part of. Uh, I'm one of their featured coaches. Yeah. And, uh, done the, done the podcast with sheets before with yeah. ball and yeah. And, and you were talking about that and that's where it struck me. Cause I said, I, I listened to that podcast and I seen your platforms and stuff that can be set up. But then when you're talking on a podcast for long periods of time and disgusting, your craft that stuck out to me. So I'm like, all right, he's, he's been through some shish. Right. <laughs> and it, cause I could feel that it was sincere and it was, it was through experience that, that, that you, that you're good there. And I think you just explained it and, and where you use that to teach and not run from it. I think that's a admirable quality. So hats off to you for that, which gravitated me towards you is, is, right, this guy's saying he wasn't good at this right off the bat. Like, and he's trying to use that to teach. I think that's, 
to me, that's a catcher. That's a cowtail. You right, go. you're gonna you're gonna say like, yeah, I sucked right here, and this is why. This learn from it, but I also think that's why you're moving forward and you're successful. Too. Yeah, you know, I say I say it all the time. I I love teaching catching. I love playing the position from from inning number one. The first time strapping on the gear, I was like, this is amazing. I, I, as a little kid, I felt like a gladiator in that in the gear. Yeah, right. And it helped with my ADD. It, it forced me to focus, you know, mm-hmm. standing out in the outfield. I'd be watching airplanes fly by. You put me behind the dish. I'm like, okay, I got to pay attention here. So help me with that. But uh, so I love, I loved catching. I love teaching catching, but, and I say this all the time, my favorite part of my events is when I get to tell my stories and explain the, the, the mistakes that I made to these kids mm-hmm. and hope that they learn the right way instead of the hard way. Like I did. Cause again, for, for someone who there's nowhere else to rather be on a baseball field and love playing the game, I was 24 years old when I became a coach. That's when I got released. And, uh, it was, how, uh, how was, how was that getting released? Was it, was it for you? Cause I, I, the first time I got released was on my birthday oh, in Seattle because I had a little bonus coming up yeah. <laughs> you know? and I had played a little more. It was my first year was Zanino. He was kind of struggling his first year and I was brought in to kind of mentor him or whatever. And that was my first year right and uh which zanino's a stud by the way i'm gonna throw that out shout out to him um but he's i i just i didn't like it i didn't like backing up or whatever and i but i was getting to the point where i was almost that bonus on my birthday got released luckily signed and then was able to play the last game in anaheim to knock them out of the playoffs so that was that was good. That was lucky. They had to sweep us to get them in for like a one game playoff. But with that on, we beat them, and they and and uh, they knew that I I got released, and so I, he let me play that last series. Plus, to give of uh, Ionetta, I think gave him a break before the playoffs, so I got to play that whole series. But I got I got when I got released, it was kind of that oh. Because you're being told you're not good enough, good enough for whatever reason, right? And how was it with you? Because you said you, you just immediately went to coaching. Was it because of the mental stresses and the writing on the wall, not being the big prospect? That you're just like, I have more. I'm not done with the game, but I have more to offer. How how did that? Tell me mentally how that affected you and how that so transition that, worked. Yeah, that, that career game that I told you about was the beginning of the end for me. So once I realized it doesn't matter how good I play, I'm a, I'm a roster filler, I'm, a, I'm a, a spot guy. I actually ended up being a utility guy. I play third, I play first, I played left field, wherever they needed. So whoever needed a, a break, I'd play, and then I'd sit a couple games, and I'd catch a game, then I'd sit a couple games, and I'd play third. Every once in a while, I'd play back-to-back games. Every once in a while, a few games in a row. And I kind of let my ego get in the way a little bit. I'm like, gosh, you know, I feel like I've turned myself into a good ball player. I worked my butt to get here. Um, and if I would have just accepted my role, there's no telling how far I could have got. Because I, I definitely had the physical tools to do it. But I let my ego get in the way. And uh, when I did play after that game, when I finally got to play again like a week later, um, I think I was probably 0 for 4 with a hat trick because I was trying to hit the ball 700 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if I was a catching and someone tried to steal, I'd launch it in the center field because I try to throw a one seven down a second. Like I was just a mess, over swinging, frustrated, overthrowing, overplaying, not a, not a good teammate. And I was literally as crazy as it sounds because there was nowhere else I'd rather be. I was just waiting for the axe to fall. I knew it was coming. I knew my attitude sucked. I knew what I was doing to the team. 
but I couldn't get myself out of the funk. Mm -hmm. So when it finally happened, it was like, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, so I, I ain't gonna lie, and I tell the story to the kids as well. I cried like a little baby. I was like, oh, I, just, yeah. I just threw my dream away. What am I doing? But at the same time, I'm like, now I can just, I can chill. I can relax, get the stress out of me. I, I literally probably could have been diagnosed clinically depressed. My, uh, oh, my roommate that. at the time was in the same kind of boat I was. So we would stay up all night and just have these pout sessions. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I actually, after I got released from the Phillies, I went and finished up the season in indie ball. I can't tell you teammates' names. I can't tell you cities we went to. I was in like this autopilot. Fog, yeah, fog. yeah. I couldn't tell you names. I don't know how I did. Mm -hmm. I remember I, I looked myself up. Someone brought something up on my uh, stats, and I looked myself up on baseball reference, and I didn't even know it, but they had my stats up there. And I was like, oh, I did all right. I batted like 260 while I was in this mental fog. Like I had no idea. Again, I can't tell you cities we went to. I remember my manager's name and my roommate's name. Other teammates, no clue who I played with. So yeah, uh, that's just how much of a, a mental. That's, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. yeah, man, it was tough. And uh, and so I came home um, after getting released and after playing that last little bit of any ball. Um, I was working out with another independent team here. Uh, last day of their little preseason deal, um, they said, hey, it's not that we don't want you. We just don't need you with, you know, an independent ball. They have to have a certain number of, you know, big league guys, triple A guys, double A guys, single A guys, college guys. And I just didn't fit in the mix. And I was like, man, if I can't even play any ball, I need to turn the page and move on and, and uh, jumped right into coaching that next summer. I was back in 97 and uh, you know, the rest is history. So. Well, I'll tell you what, that history has uh, made you a very good catching instructor. So uh, I think the rest of the youth is probably glad that you went through that. So you can feel good about it. <laughs> you had to endure all that so they don't have to. They can, right? <laughs> yeah, no, the, parent, the parents tell me all the time, I get more, I get more DMs and emails. Um, and even chat, you know, the parents will come up to me after camp and say, hey, we, we love camp. Man, the information you put out there is amazing. You can tell you do your research. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. But that last talk you just did, Todd, made all this worth it. We drove seven hours to get here and come see you. And that last little 15-minute talk you gave on controlling your emotions and telling your story, they're like, that made everything worth it. Thank you so much. That was a life changer for my son. And I'll get messages a year later. Hey, we call them, we don't call them TED Talks in our house. We call them Todd Talks. And uh, oh, thank wow, you. I like that. Yeah, they said it still pops up in our head and he'll, he'll have an episode during a game. And after the game, we'll have a talk and say, remember what Coach Todd said at camp. You just did the same thing he said, the same mistake he did. And you need to turn, you know, figure out how to to, to get focused instead of frustrated. What can you do differently? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's really cool. And I, and I love that's really, truly why I do what I do is I love teaching the physical skills. But changing lives is really what I'm, I'm all about. And uh, it's it's fun. I have a blast with it. Oh, that's, that's why I'm here talking to you. I felt that, uh, I feel like I can shift through the, uh, generic eyewash guys and the guys that are real. Um, so I, that's exactly what I felt. And then also hearing the kids, the ripple fix off of the kids when they, they've gone to you and then they come into me and they're like, yeah, your, your series will kind of the, the pro the, the process you go, I think there's a right way. Cause we're in spring. So we're all, we kind of know how to work into receiving or your like with your catching mechanics series right yeah. uh which i want to get into here in a minute yeah i i 
I hear that ripple effect off of the kids coming in. Like I learned this and I'm like, all right, yeah, it's pretty good. And then they, they can actually articulate it. And I'm like, all right, who is this guy? All right. Let's, who is he? And so, which leads me into, uh, your catching mechanic series discussion. Um, why I wanted to sit, I kind of sought you out is almost everything. I agree with you. You're blocking your everything like this. I'm, I would say old school. Okay. Sure. Here, let, let me give me a little history of where I'm coming from so we can have a, a real discussion. And I sought you out because I think you're well-informed. I think what you're saying is very good and you put it out there. Very good. Um, so the whole new glove thing, that's what I want to discuss. Right. Sure. And I'm sure you, you've seen with your knowing you, you're a catcher like me. I know you did your background check on me. So you probably watched it. Like maybe I watched John catch a ball or two if you hadn't already. So um, I want to discuss that a little bit of the ground up. I know why they do it. I So you know where I'm coming from. I started when the, the whole analytics on stealing the pitches was when I was in New York. That's when it kind of started hitting. That's when it became relevant, right? And they started grading us for pitches I took down and then pitches I uh, took up. And, and we started – it be, started becoming a thing in New York. What year was that? Um, 13, maybe? 13, 12 or 13, something like – right around there. Yeah. Maybe 13. Um, uh, I think 13. So maybe 12. 12 is when I it started hitting. But then it started coming to us where – it was like you're watching and we're all right, consciously ch changing how the way I caught the ball. So I'm trying to move my mic here. Let me know if it's good, Jordan. Um, you can kind of see me here. So if I if I was this is why we put the camera this way, so we can dial this in. When we started catching, so if you think about the plate, right? That's when we started catching, creating, turning that glove at the quarter turn back into so that the view right same thing here it get around the ball beat the ball there lay it flat get over the top with a quarter turn and then the thumb catch it on the thumb and roll it up right that's when it started changing from the old bomb you know where you sticking it but i was always had kind of a quarter turn because that's just the proper way to catch right we all have done that but where it's where I'm, I'm, I think there's bad. Ha I had a good talk with. Do you know Tim, uh, Tim Cousins? I know who Tim is. I've listened to his some of his talks. I've never got a chance to meet him, but he's actually one of my favorite guys. Like, which, which, uh, he's interested in it too because we die. We we've dove into like the numbers, right, and the things about what we're chasing. We know the numbers, what we're chasing. We know the pitch. Um, I'm convinced on knee down on low and away pitches. I think Perez is a unique fella. So is Molina and they do it because they're athletic. And I think they're at that level where they're able to slow the game down and they're freaks. They're unicorns. Right. And I, I just, I want to discuss when one, you kind of discuss it, articulate it. Cause I think you do it better than I could. Uh, cause I also, I'm here to learn cause I'm not opposed to teaching it if I'm convinced, right? Sure. But I think at the young age and, and some of the pictures, I don't 
know how that could be a good stand. I think people are going to get thumbed more, right? I think, which which I know Tim was saying too, which they're finding is throwing back to the pitcher as accumulated numbers. They're starting to see a little more lob because of the position they get in, squared up, as instead of you know the rhythm. So there could be some. Maybe there's some innovation to throwing back with that. Maybe, and I think you're. I know you have things to talk about it. That's why I'm here for answers. Sure. And then, um, and maybe I can pick it apart because I think I feel like certain pitches it calls for it, but setting up and moving, especially for youth, there's so much timing for it. I don't think they catch enough balls. I, I think they have a hard enough time beating the ball when they're set here. You know how it used to be here, relax and then go. They have a t- hard time doing that sometimes at certain ages. And maybe where you've done it a lot more than me, is there a certain age or or what do you look for then to progress into that? Those are the kind of things I want you to kind of – and I'm going to sit back after <laughs> I've regurgitated and I want to I listen because I do think you teach it good. And then maybe we can nerd out and I might try to pick holes in you. You know, sure. for for sure. the for the case of the – the discussion of catching don't think don't take it personal i just want to learn and know because i'm not opposed to teaching it i may adapt it my son has good hands and he's he's been brainwashed since he was a child of catching right so he has he thinks he's a second baseman shortstop he's probably gonna be a catcher let's be honest it's in his blood he can't help it and his and his mom was a setter so he has sick hands so so um I've I've had him knee down. I've had him kind of doing it because he can time it and he can do it, but his hands aren't normal 12-year-old hands, right? So I, I, maybe there's a skill set that you look for. I'm interested to see what you look for so that I can absorb. So I'm going to sit back, relax, give me the info. All right. So you said so many different things there. Points I know, I know. Because I know. An hour and where should I start? I uh, know your ADD can catch on to it. That's, I know you're a catcher. I just yeah. threw up on you. I'm going to, you can see me. I'm getting comfy here. I'm ready to learn. <laughs> I should have written down a couple notes. So um, <laughs> first and foremost, I kind of have a funny story on, on this new technique. Um, you know, the way that the game is evolving, um, obviously the position is evolving in particular with receiving. So um, I think we're in the same boat that when we were coming up, we were taught stick it, yeah. minimize, minimize movement, you know, pre-catch movement and even, you know, mainly post-catch movement, minimize movement, stick the pitch, let the umpire tell you if it's a strike or not. And that, that's what we're always taught. And that's what I taught for years. Even when I first started the catching guy, that's what I taught on my camps, minimize movement. Um, shortly after I became the catching guy, um, I was asked to speak at catcher con, Zan Barksdale's, uh, just catcher heaven. Have you, have you been able to go yet? Well, I've, I've been asked, I had some stuff come up, personal oh. stuff that I just it didn't work out with my son and stuff, but yeah, I've, okay. I, I've been asked to recently cause I think they've seen that I'm, I'm on the scene now. Sure. No, absolutely. You got to get out there. It's really cool. Yeah. I'm in Nashville too. I don't know if anything like me. I love, you know, baseball, barbecue and country music are some of my favorite things. I'm so, in. I'm in. Yeah. Um, so I got asked to speak and he asked me to speak on receiving. Mm-hmm. Well, he also had Ryan Sienko, which in, in my opinion has been one of the catalysts in, in, in this new technique and everything. He's the Dodgers coordinator. Um, and you watch Barnes and, and Martin back in the day and Grandel when he's with the, uh, with the Dodgers and all the moving that they were doing. So I actually got roomed with Ryan. And the night before I spoke, I already had my presentation already done, all my slides, all my video of catchers sticking pitches. 
and catchers moving pitches and me saying how, you know, in the slide, how it's, this is incorrect. And I sat in this hotel room with Ryan and he showed me video after video, after video, after video of his catchers moving the ball mm-hmm. and getting strike after strike. And I'm like, gosh, I just cannot buy into this. I was always taught sticking. I felt like I was really good at sticking at a pretty good receiving catcher. Got plenty of strikes, even on the low pitch. I'm like, why are we moving the ball? Why are we moving it so much? But again, it was literally hundreds of, instances of videos and then ryan actually spoke right before i did um actually i think it went ryan tanner swanson and then me um but that that night the night before i spoke my first big speaking engagement as the catching guy i actually edited my presentation and then the very next morning i even pulled out a couple more slides and i'm like man i you know i know what i taught what i thought was correct now i've got this big league catching coordinator showing me the exact opposite of what I teach. And it was, uh, it was eye-opening to say the the least it was, um, it, it kind of, uh, shook you. Yeah. It just shook me. I, I don't know what the word I'm looking so, for. So could you see it when you, when you learned it, were you like, all right, that makes sense. I can see why or how. So or- that was my first introduction to it. And I was still not a hundred percent buying in. I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, nah. And there were still guys like Yachty and Salvi, some of the older guys that are, that are sticking it, you know, that were still sticking it and still having, in my opinion, what I thought was a lot of success. So with all that said, what I'm getting at is I, I just became this research nut and just started watching videos and I would get to as many conventions as I could. And I would try and contact some of these guys, um, became really good friends with other coordinators and other catching guys and discussing. And, um, obviously with my social media, I'm constantly breaking down video and paying attention to the stats and the analytics. And, uh, it probably, so it's t- 2021, probably in about 2000, 18 i spoke at catchercon in 16 it took me a good two years to really start understanding seeing the difference looking at the numbers talking to the right people and realizing that majority of the time the catchers that are moving the ball were getting more strike calls Uh, yeah and so here's the thing when i work with kids too so here goes my add brand i'm jumping from one thing to another i can follow it i love it as you can tell (laughs) (laughs) with uh and, and I say with kids, but in my opinion, this, this goes for every level. I, you can't be a cookie cutter. You can't say you have to do it this way. Um, I always say it this way to the kids. The amount of move you make um, is all going to be dependent on your timing and the pitch location. There's going to be times where it's nearly impossible to receive a pitch and move it. Like you're just getting there and then you're, you just have to use all your strength you can to just keep a strike, a strike. You're set up on one side of the plate. It's on the other. You know, sometimes you're going to push through. Sometimes you're going to uh, absorb a little bit. Sometimes it might just be a mid turn, um, but it's never the same. And to try and tell someone that you need to funnel, you need to be extension to flexion. You need to be flexion to extension. You need to always do this, always do that. It's just not. You know, and again, that's all I do now is I analyze video and then I put cool things together and post it on my social media. Everybody's different, you know, and in the kids level, the biggest issue that I've found with these kids, they understand the concept. Uh, I'm pretty good at, you know, selling them on it and explaining why we do it and why the best are doing it. Um, They're just not strong enough. Um, you know, you get some of the kids that have dads like you, you know, that you said he's prior, he's already got big, strong hands and, and, uh, just the genetics and everything. So I'll run into some kids that are 
10, 11 years old and we'll feed a pitch out of a machine or I'll chuck the ball out. I'm pretty good. And they, and they're boom, they snap it up and they're, uh, you know, being, being able to move, it's one thing. The other component is being able to hit the brakes and mm-hmm. print that, you know, okay. some kids, yeah. some kids will try and move it and they go, they can't yeah. stabilize after, but being able to move it and then stick, yeah, move it and present, that's a whole other topic. And so, you know, at my events, the average age is probably 14, somewhere around in there, but we, okay. we'll, go, we'll go as low as 10 year olds. We'll go as high as 18 year olds. Um, but those, you know, it, it all depends on the fitness level and strength. And then, you know, one of the things we cover all the time in my flexibility. Event, Flexibility is a stance. We could teach you everything about the stance. You know, I'm sorry, everything about receiving, blocking, and throwing. But if you don't get in a good stance or have a good setup, you're not balanced and athletic. None of that's going to matter. So the kids that have the flexibility and mobility, the core strength to be able to stabilize, the shoulder strength and stability, hand, wrist, and forearm strength, which is all stuff we do in my camps, by the way. But uh, well, that's fine. That's that's one of the things when I say when people come to me, they're like, "Oh yeah." Todd guy did the same thing with some of the heavy balls, some of the side things that I do, flexibility things. Like, yeah, he does this too. And I'm like, all right, I like this guy. <laughs> Who is he? <laughs> yeah. No, it's and obviously if you're doing it too, you know, you know the importance of it. Cause it's it's so obvious to me the kids that are yeah. um that are going to some kind of resistance training, some strength mm-hmm. training, what you know, some strength school, some whatever it is, it's obvious the kids that are and the kids that aren't. Yeah. The kids that aren't, I'm always really honest and real with them. I'm like, hey, y- you have to get leaner, you have to get more mobile, or you're not gonna have a future catcher. If you really love catching, and I think you do, if you if you paid to come see me and attend this event, you're serious about it. You gotta work on your fitness level and strength, or it's not gonna work. It's not gonna happen. There's you know, um, it's just too big of a component to succeed in. And everything we do as a catcher, you know, it's it's pretty challenging to be athletic while you're in a squat, like squat, yeah. to, to be able to move around and everything. So, yeah, the ca- the catcher, the catching position, real now is is becoming one with the receiving part of it. It's it's becoming a very, I would say, sh- in its own way, a shortstop type athlete behind there now. Sure. Because I think they're seeing the importance of it now. You have to be that type of athlete, yeah. Yep. So again, so that's kind of my background on on the transition into actually moving the ball. I was really okay. resistant. The one knee stuff. I used to sit up on one knee. Um, yeah. For me, sometimes it was more just for comfort. Um, and and, and uh, certain pitches, I would like to get a little bit lower on, depending on what I called. Um, but. Uh, and so the one knee stuff is, is easy for me to transition into yeah. uh, the moving the ball was the one I was really resistant to. Um, and again, it took me about two years of research and learning and figuring and watching and then just realizing, man, that's, you know, and the way like Ryan put it uh, at one point, I asked him, he uh, or he might have said this in one of the conventions. I saw him speak. I've seen him speak several times. And he said, you know, we film every pitch of every game at every level, mm-hmm. you know, so big leagues, triple A, double A, you know, long season, a short season, a rookie all the way down. And it's obviously the, the video guys. job. It's the, it's the it, they have like zoomed in on you now too. It's exactly. pretty dope. And I got, really I got better crazy. receiving at the end because of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's crazy how specific they'll get. And, and yeah. he said, you know, when we had a pitch that was one to two baseballs into a righty, like that's how, they zoom in, like you said, and, they, and he said, mm-hmm. we had pitches one to two baseballs in, and our pit, our catcher stuck that pitch. Um, you know, we got a strike call 11% of the time. 
when our catcher moved it, just a little subtle push, little roll, whatever, we got a strike call 17% of the time. And so even though 17% isn't a huge difference from 11%, it's more, it's, it's higher. So why would you not do what's going to get your pitcher more strikes, which is in turn, obviously going to help the team win more ball games. So, Correct. um, yeah. Well, the, so, um, before we move into the next thing, what's articulate, uh, so you do a good job of it. Also, I'll let you do it. Yeah. Is uh, what's articulate for people talking about when we're talking about moving the ball from what, say all four areas. Maybe articulate what you're saying, how you want the wrist roll, the quarter turns. What's moving the ball? Because jo- Jordan kind of fed me a question here. What's you know from a left-handed poo flinger? He he <laughs> wants to he wants to know what moving the ball is for a catcher and what that means to us. Sure. So, um, and I'll actually, I'll break it down like I do at my camps. I'll, I'll, I'll teach it to, to you exactly like I do to the kids. Yeah. So, um, I have what I call my big four, mm-hmm. um, for every skill, by the way, everything we do as a catcher, I have my four. Which main is very good. Go check out his stuff on, on it is good. So, and it's easy to follow. So go check that out. If you, you. people, you know, I think by the way, I, I've been working with kids for, for 20 years, actually 25 plus years, um, mm-hmm. but for a living for 20 years. And so I've had to figure out how to make it understandable. You know what I mean? So I, I have a master's degree in kinesiology with a focus in teaching and catching. So I have the education. I have the big words in my head. So if I'm talking to a pro guy, college guy, I can throw out some big words at him. Yeah. But I have had to learn how to, you know, for lack of a better word, dumb it down for the kids and simplify it so I can I can relate to the nine-year-old and make him get it. And I can, you know, advance it for the 19-year-old and help them improve as well. So, um, you know, that's when you, you keep saying that I'm really good at articulating it. I think that's what it came from is yeah. I just worked with kids for so long and, and the way my brain works. Um, well, it's a catch- I think that's a catcher skill. Sure. Because, I mean, if, if I go and how you learn how to talk to people, that's why I keep bringing it up. It's, it's a very good quality for a catcher because if I go talk to Zach Grinke, when I would go talk to him, if I did the same thing that I did to Matt Harvey – it would not, it wouldn't go good. You know, it's two drastic different people that I had to deal with. So I think that is that skill. And I think that's why I recognize it. And I can see it when I go to your stuff and I'm watching you talk and articulate to kids. I'm like, okay, this guy's good with his, like getting it across, you know, I I hate bad directions, bad directions drive me nuts. So, and I always say this to the kids and and for any coaches that might be watching, this is in my opinion, 100% true. If the kids are confused, it's our fault, not theirs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every once in a while, you'll have the ADD kid that's not paying attention, and that's why they don't get it. But if you, you have lock them, them in, yeah, yeah, if you have them locked in and you teach them something, and they're like, "I don't understand, coach." We need to figure out a different way to say what we're teaching to make them understand. So, um, you know, again, if the kids confused, we need to we need to switch it up. It's not on them; it's on us. So, just over the years, I've figured out ways to, to simplify and break it down and make it easily understandable. It's just uh, it's just the way my brain works. So, um, as far as the big four on receiving, um, in my opinion, number one is timing. We have to be on time. Mm-hmm. It's nearly impossible to be on time every time. So we just got to do our best to be on time. And all timing means is we want our mitt moving toward the strike zone as we receive the pitch, not away from it. Mm-hmm. But again, sometimes the pitcher misses their spot by 18 inches. There's no, we're just trying to stop it from flying by. So we're basically just, you know, doing what we can get in survival mode and, and, and catch the dang thing. 
but when at all possible, we want to have our mitt moving toward the strike zone. And then in my opinion, there's two keys that'll help you be on time. Number one is relax. A relaxed body is a quick body. That's just the physiological facts. You know, if you're tensed up, you're going to move slower. So we want to relax. And that, the way I say it to the kids is that's why you see so many catchers now. They'll either show the target and then relax their hand and go down to the ground. Or they'll just start their mid on the ground. They're just relaxed. They're just trying to stay as relaxed as possible. I call it a wet noodle. Um, and then, uh, you know, as the pitch is thrown, then react. And, and when everything's relaxed, it's like the boxers analogy too. those boxers. Uh, I was, I was going to say, I was going in my, I actually do a boxing drill for that. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Their hands are open and relaxed until it's time to punch. We want everything relaxed until it's time to move. So relaxed body is a quick body. And then also we can, uh, some coaches call it cheat a little bit is if you have a pitcher that's pretty good at hitting their spots you're going you're gonna to shade your mid in that area. So if you've called down and away, go ahead and your pre-catch move should be over in the area where you're expecting the pitch to go, that anticipated pitch location. So if the pitcher hits their spot, you're there, you're on time, you're already there, you're waiting, and then it's a lot easier to move uh, the pitch where we want to move it. So timing's number one. Timing, all that means is have your mitt moving toward the strike zone instead of away from it when you receive it. The two keys to being on time are relax and get your mid in the area of anticipated pitch location. So that's number one on my list. Um, number two, and this is where I used to, cause I've always done this, this key, you know, the three or four keys. This is where I used to say, stick it, minimize movement, minimize <laughs> body movement, mid movement, post catch movement. Well, that's obviously switched now. So I say, move the ball. Yeah. Um, one thing that I've always told the kids too, is sticking. It's not wrong moving no. it they found that moving it is better so there's going to be pitches where you go and you don't move at all and that's fine ha, you get your strike calls yeah. but it's those borderline ones that we have to have that little subtle sometimes it's a push sometimes it's a, a pull sometimes it's a put like whatever you want to call it coaches call it different things um those borderline ones that we can manipulate a little bit sometimes yeah. just a mid turn the moving the ball is getting more strikes um yeah. little side note to that and i know you've seen all the debates, arguments, whatever you want to call it on social media. Pretty much every time I post a video of someone moving the ball, um, I'll get blasted by, you know, three or four or five guys. Sometimes I'll get a retweet and they'll say, look at this garbage. Why this guy's teaching this? Um, <laughs> everyone, everyone's got the center field camera view. You know, they're sitting on their couch, they're sitting at their computer, they're watching on their phone, whatever it is. They see the little box on the screen. Yep. And yes, from the center field camera view, and especially with slow-mo replays, you see the move, right? Yeah. Yep. Well, there's already, there's been research done, high definition cameras in this, you know, area where the umpire set up videoing catchers, receiving pitches when done correctly, the umpire cannot see the move. All they see is the finished product. I've sat next to big league umpire at catcher con and talked to him about it. They can't see it. If, if the umpire says, stop moving the ball, you've either, you were late. So you caught it and then moved or you move too far yep. it's from the body shielding. It's the speed of everything. It's the way the Boom. They can't tell. Bit. Yeah. They can't you, see if it. you use a concussion of the ball. So what I say, you use a concussion of the ball. They can't tell if that's that process of catching the ball. That's, that's what we learned that you can't do that. That's why you, when you talked to, you had a good phrase of beat the ball to the spot. If you're beating the ball to the spot, they can't tell. Yeah, because as that concussion's going, they can't tell if it's concussion of the glove or the turn of the glove or 
you're tricking, fooling, stealing strikes, whatever, moving the ball. Yeah, no, it's and that's what the umpire said. He said, I, I know what I, I saw. I thought I saw it low. I heard the pop. But then when my brain registers and my, my eyes, yeah. they're like, wait, now the mitt's here. I thought I saw it here. And all of a sudden the mitt's there. Strike. They literally can't see the move. That's why I call it mitt magic. That's why. And that's, why, and that's the numbers show too. That's why the change of this evolution, this is, yeah. Well, and that's why I call it mitt magic. It's literally a magic trick when done correctly. I like that phrase. I might steal it, Todd. No, steal it. That's that's the name of my online. I'll, I'll steal it and I'll uh, I'll I'll hashtag Todd on it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Mitt magic. It's a magic trick. So again, so number two on my list. I think you just uh, found your new T-shirt, by the way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's in the works. It's already in the works. There uh, you go. I like. I'll buy it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, moving the ball is, is better. Um, and here's so the next number three on my list is give the umpire a consistent look. Um, and this is where you started talking about quarter turn and thumb up, thumb down and that kind of stuff. Um, and I'll always refer back to some more numbers that Ryan Sanko gave. And again, one of his conventions or might have just been in the hotel room. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to these conventions, but you go and you watch these guys talk and you get all this great information. But you get go back the, to the room. Yeah. You go back to the room. That's when the good stuff starts to happen. So um, and I think pops I, and get loose. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not 100 percent sure where I heard him say this, but uh, um, kind of going back to those numbers again. And it was actually still in the discussion of the same pitch type. So one to two baseballs off the edge of the plate. Um you know, he said when, when our, it's like 2018 and my numbers aren't going to be exact, but you get the point. Right. I mean, it was to this extreme. He said, we had like 680 something pitches that were one to two baseballs in um, to a righty. When our catchers turned their thumb up and caught it with a vertical mid position, we only got a strike call seven times. When our catcher received it with a horizontal mid position or got back to horizontal. Yeah, there you go. Back to Yep. They got a strike call like 360 times. And the rest of the time, the pitch was called a ball because it was. It was off the plate. So that's a huge percentage. 700 pitches only seven times when they went vertical. And, I, and I'll tell you a conversation I had that I think the way that they're taught, talked from Teddy Barrett. But so keep going. Now, so, remind me to come back to that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the point is we want to get our mitt horizontal or flat as often as possible. Mm-hmm. Um and, and that just gives the visual to the umpire. They see the same every time. If they see thumb down on that outside to a righty into a lefty, they're like, oh, well, that must be off the plate a little bit. But he's turning his mitt to try and make it look more like a strike. Inside to righty, go thumb up. Oh, that must, you know, it looks different. It's, it's registers in their brain as this must be a ball. And they're turning their mitt in a certain way to try and make it look like a strike. So anytime we can catch the ball horizontal or get back to horizontal as quickly as possible, the more strikes we're going to get called. And that same rule applies to the moves that we make. Um, and this is, this is one that's probably one of the most challenging concepts, especially for some of these catchers that have been taught to stick it. So I'll have a 15, 16 year old come to camp and they said they've always been taught to stick it. Um, I can't remember what world series it was, maybe it was 18 or 19, whenever the Dodgers were just in it and Austin Barnes was, was catching pitches. They were center punching them right in the chest. And he would still go and he would still lift it a little bit. And I, I think I Twitter message Ryan. I go, why is Barnsley moving the ball when it's already a strike? And all he said was give the umpire a consistent look. So the point is, if you watch a lot of the best are even when the ball's in the strike zone, they're still lifting a little bit. 
they're still turning their mid a little bit. Making it part of the, the receiving the concussion. Yeah. Every single pitch. Okay. Yeah. Moving a little bit. So, and again, there's going to be instances where you're set up and you do your relax and you're like, oh crap, boom. And then you just catch it and you stick it. You're trying to not let yeah. your keep going. So you freeze. So you're sticking it and they'll still get strike calls. But majority of the time, if you if you stick a pitch that's in the strike zone and you move a pitch that's a little bit out of the strike zone, if your timing isn't perfect, which it's possible to be perfect, the umpire is going to see the move sometimes. But if they see the move sometimes, they don't see the move like it it's going to stick up like a red flag to them. Yeah, exactly. So if every time we receive the pitch, we have a little subtle mid turn, a little subtle lift, a little subtle push, a little subtle pull, a little subtle roll, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. make it look the same every single time. In the brains of that, those umpires, they see the finished product. They, they constantly see a little subtle move and then a flat mitt, strike after strike after strike after strike. If it looks different, they're not out, they're out to not call it. And, and, and this is what I was going to say about Teddy Parrott. This is when I had that conversation with him is I said, all right, what do you, what do you guys train to look at, right? Because you're, you know, you're off the inside shoulder. Never sure should know where the umpire is. And so when I'm presenting and I'm coming over here, and this is the flat glove, right? If I reach across and I catch that ball here on the outside corner, if if I if I see you with that flat glove over there, they said sometimes we don't we can't see where it is. We're watching how you catch it. If it's flat, I'm probably gonna you're you're telling me you think it's outside the strike zone. Because I'm going to watch that glove come up. So that's why away I teach quarter turn come up with the tall glove, right? On the inside, he says if it's here and you get around and that glove's up or it's, and it stays up, you're telling me you think that's inside if they catch that ball. That's why when I beat it and go f- the flat glove, like what you were saying, yeah. he says that's what they're trained at umpire school camp screen training. When they're taking pitches and they're doing this, that's how they're calling it. They don't look at anything down below. They're watching this. And that's why the concussion of that, boom, getting movement up and doing that, and, and that's what you're saying, giving consistent. But that's what Mr. Barrett was saying was they're watching. They're trained to see this glove. Yeah. And I think that's why it works, is they're trained to see that finished product of the ball, where I think that's low or – uh, so that's, I think I know that that's how they're taught, you yeah. know, with that being said, and I think that goes to what your point of what you were saying is th- when they're looking in their brain and they see this finished product of what you're presenting, that's why that those numbers go through the roof with the movement of the glove. Cause they, they don't see that. They see the finished product yeah. of what you're presenting to them. The, the thing that I have a question on, on this is being set up. This elbow being rolled up, the glove on the ground, receiving balls like that. That's that's where I'm like, eh, because that's where I talked with Tim. Is as he said, it's kind of like a uh, organizational thing, right? Is is it's like it's being taught now, right? And hey, Jordan, can you get? I can't see Todd's face here. On this thing. No, not on your thing. It's on our computer. It's, uh, there you go. I, now you really did it. There we go. Smart guy. Where was I? So is when it goes up, I feel like there's, this is where they're getting thumb thing. 
and that movement and i get i know where it is and where we talked about is the number that it's getting but to what sacrifice for the rest of the position right and and throwing this receiving there's some things that go and i agree about flipping or or what you do i we're right there i like that we're right there right and i i teach try to get it back here just because i believe it's right around the midline right in this area you look at you research it i research myself everybody else the best that's where it is it's not like the tom house thing sorry not happening not consistent but this i just feel like there's a lot of ish going on here maybe you can help me with that because i when it's on the ground, I like loose and maybe loose on the ground and then coming up. I like that. So I'm that's new school to me. Sure. I'm more here, relax and go, kind of relax and go. I'm I there's some kids that I think I may try that, maybe experience ex- experiment with that because you've you've got me there. I'm I'm going to play with that, okay? Uh, and that is new to me, but where the gloves turned all the way over, what's the reasoning for that, the benefit there, because there's got to be a reason. Sure. And I know Tim said it's a small percentage on a low pitch. And he said maybe he might just do that with change-ups and stuff that are maybe lower. So maybe you can add your two cents on that. Well, so my understanding is um, what they're trying to do is make make the move on a low pitch just one move, just to mm-hmm. turn up. So if I if I if my pre-catch relax or move is to roll my fingers forward or go palm down, which some of the best do Austin Hedges led the world, you know, two seasons ago. Um, I think he was still up here this year, uh, you know, not not as high as he's been, but he kind of goes palm down and rolls his fingers forward and then adjusts from there. But uh, I think. And I always put it this way when I'm teaching is your pre-catch move a lot of times is dependent on what pitch you've called. You know, what's the velocity of that pitch? Where's the anticipated pitch location? Um, you know, if I'm spec, it, maybe we just went with a, a low breaking ball, low change up, and now we want to climb the ladder and change our eye level and throw that high heat. We got someone on the mound that throws really hard and we think this batter's going to chase. Well, if I'm expecting that to me, face high, you know, fastball high to, yeah. high to the batter, I'm not going to put my mid on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> That'd okay. be silly. So my, I'm going to show, and then my pre-catch move is just going to be a subtle little relax excuse me, about my chest so I can get on top of that one. Just the same as you said, maybe over here on the roll. Exactly. Okay. So if, if I'm expecting uh, uh, Noah Syndergaard 102-mile-an-hour sinker down and into, you know, uh, a right-handed batter, um, if, if, I've, if I'm expecting a strike, well, let me say it differently. So sometimes we'll call for a wave pitch or a chase pitch, we call it. So we're expecting mm-hmm. something off the plate. We're trying to get the batter to chase. I might set my mid. If I'm expecting, I'll just use a lefty slider for an example. It's one, two. We were just in with a fastball. Now we're going to you know, slide it away from whatever. I might go ahead and move my mid vertical because okay. <laughs> I'm expecting it to be over there. And I'm not necessarily expecting to steal a strike. I'm just trying not to break my thumb and let the ball go flying by. So my pre-catch move It'll be low, and then I might turn my – I keep coming out of the screen. I might turn my mid this way, and then I'll be reaching across that that, that slider going away. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm expecting that borderline, and different coaches have different zones, and you know what I mean? So if I'm yeah. expecting that borderline pitch, 
um, I might set up a little bit different because I know I might have to do a real quick uh, wrist snap. I'm also going to adjust my stance. I might turn my stance so that slide or two seamers coming into me more instead of going away from me. So I'll get my left knee or my left foot slightly in front of my right. So that pitch is coming into me more instead of away from me. Um, which so, adds, which adds being consistent pre presentation. To the umpire yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and again, I, I feel like I'm kind of babbling and jumping around. No, it's a, I'm, I'm right with you. So okay. you're perfect for me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it, the, the way I set up is going to be dependent on what pitch I've called. Um, I think the concept behind doing this versus trying to stay square. And, and I know when I got thumbed in the past and, and, uh, um, which we all have, if you're a catcher, you've been, you got floaties in your, in your thumb, right? Yeah. We all go through it. Right. And my thumb is still, I, I do that and it still hurts. <laughs> yeah, I got, I've got a bone chip still in here yeah. <laughs> so floating around. I can play with. So, but for me, uh, when I, you know, if, if I got, uh, if I got caught being late, if I got surprised by a late move, late sink, um, late cut, um, I caught a guy in the Phillies organization that couldn't throw the dang ball straight. And I'd be like, you need to tell me when you're going to do that. And he goes, I didn't mean to, I just did it. I'm like, how are you holding the ball? Is that a two seam or four seam? He goes, there's a four seam. I'm like, what, you know, how in the world that happened? I get yeah. thrown all the time with them, but the ones that I got surprised, I was almost trying to stay square this way. So my thumb was right behind it. So what they're teaching now is elbow up, thumb down and it opens up more of the pocket so we don't get thumbed now right. if that thing keeps going it, you there's you still get thumb so it's just kind of yeah i don't know if pick your poison is the right word but you have to know each pitcher you have yeah. to know the move and how much movement they're going to have the velocity that's coming at um and and one of the things i say nine thousand times at every camp is you do you you know what i mean yeah. figure yeah. out what works best for you so if you watch the catcher's now in the big leagues, some like I was just saying, head just kind of goes. His pre-catch relaxes here. Yeah. Sets up with his thumb down and just starts here right away. Mm -hmm. um, Bar Barnes sets up like this, and his pre-catch move is like, and yeah. that's it. like he. They're taught to to hold the target as long as they can, yeah. minimize pre-catch. Um, and that's just you know that's Ryan's philosophy, and then he's pounding into all his catches, so they have very minimal pre-catch move. Um, you'll have some guys. Uh, Actually, kind of do a it like a little turn. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I think yep, Avila yep. used to do that, but I think did he just retired? He resigned. Uh, I th I think last time I heard he was probably resigning. He was. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. debating. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. But he his pre catch move is almost always a little turn. Yeah, that's um, kind of what I was taught. I was yeah. taught kind of to think of this finger, which made sense because you know throwing and all that stuff, in quarter turns and all that stuff, it was that always seems natural getting around to me sure. and i think that's why it's hard for me to like when you do this i just like that doesn't seem athletic to me <laughs> you know what i, I mean I had, to, I had to practice it so when i you yeah. know i'd set up a machine and say hey feed some balls like if i'm at camp early sometimes i'll um back Which i've, I've made my son do it so i've, I've yeah. played with it and i don't i don't know yeah that's the thing with tim do you find Okay, say if there's a guy on first, right? Still situation. Do you still set up like that? That's a, that's a great question. And the way I put it to the kids is is that I think they're calling it nowadays skill prioritization, right? Uh -huh. What skill are you prioritizing for that particular pitch? Is it uh, LeCastro on first that's like the fastest 
human right now in baseball yeah, right? um, or a yeah. Buxton or one of those guys. And you pretty much know he's going to go. Um, is it, is it, uh, I, I can't think of a guy who's like, I don't want to say a name of someone who has a bad batting average, but is it, is it a kind of a just okay hitter and a really fast runner? Is it Mike Trout at the plate and a fast runner? You know yeah. what I mean? So we have to, our brain has to process that whole situation. And, and sometimes you'd be like, I'm getting in throwing mode. I'm not worried about this batter. He's been struggling or he's not, not the best batter. So I'm going to throw out Buxton or LaCastro if they go. So I'm going to get in a stance and setup that's going to best help me get ready to throw. And mm -hmm. so even my pre-catch move might be a little bit different, but if it's like that runner's really fast, but this hitter's really good and we have him on the ropes one, two, I might prioritize receiving and then just react according if the runner does in fact go. But my focus is trying to strike this stud hitter out. I've got Mike Trout up instead of a two run home run. I want to mm -hmm. try to get him out and then throwing is secondary. So my setup's going to change a little bit and my pre-catch move might change. But if I'm setting up to receive, I'm going to do whatever's going to help me for that particular pitch, get that strike call, be on time and mm -hmm. get that strike call. If it's a fast runner and a poor hitter, I might set up a little bit different, stagger my stance a little bit more, you know, get my hips up a little bit. Um, that's, you know, one of the biggest debates right now is the guys who are setting up on one knee with runners on base. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's Dro just, dropping the, where I've gotten to is I think dropping the right knee, keeping it, you know, turn it, ducking your feet, foot out and putting a little more weight on there. One, because when I go help out, it's with Kansas City. And I think we all know who probably does this the best and throws from there is Perez, right? Yeah. And that's what he does talking with him. He sets up on that. I think that's the right move to do it if you're going to do it. And you have the arm strength because you can, again, you've got to be that shortstop type athlete. Absolutely. To, to, to move these, do these moves and do those type of things because it takes an above average athlete in the squat to do these athletic moves and still throw. And which you agree with the right knee being the one drop down if you do it or? Yeah, you have to be pretty well. First of all, setting up. I mean, this brings up a whole, this opens up a whole. I know. I was open that can of worms. I'm, <laughs> I'm down. That's why I wanted to get you. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so setting up on one knee just at all is is going to be pitcher dependent and catcher dependent right mm -hmm. that is the catcher athletic enough and still mobile enough to adjust the pitches away from where they're expecting it while on one knee right um, and, 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 and have you found some kids almost that may not have the flexibility and athletic i feel like it almost helps their hands out a little bit that i found 100 percent. so there's some that will set up on when it's the first thing i do at my camp so we we do our initial talk we get them loose and then we get them all and talk about the stances and setups and the different options that they have and when, again i already said it i said nine thousand times during camp you do you mm -hmm. some of you are going to set down your left knee and love it some of you are going to sit down your left knee and be like i feel terrible i feel like i'm locked in place i can't do anything then we're going to have you try your right knee down and you'll be like "Ooh, i didn't like left knee but i like right knee um, some of you are going to hate right knee and love left. Like it, it's all dependent on the catcher, their body type, their, their flexibility, mobility, their ankle. I, and, and their skill, their skill with their, cause some kids I think have trouble with, it helps them get that left knee out of the way. Cause they're always like, cause they don't have the flexibility or, or core strength and back strength to maneuver around that arm. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, 
Again, so, and then also, at, especially at the youth level and the big league level and the professional level, even the college level, the, uh, the pitchers are a lot more consistent, you know, around the zone. Their misses aren't to as many extremes. They still do miss to the extreme sometimes, but it's, it's a lot less than if, in youth level. Right. So I always tell the kids, you know, if you've got your number one all-star pitcher out there that hits his spot majority of the time, sure, set up on one knee, get comfortable, get lower to the ground, you know, change your eye level, get down there with those low pitches and, um, you know, like you say, clear more space and freedom of movement with your receiving arm, especially with the left knee down, all that stuff. But if you have little Mikey out there that this is, you know, he hardly ever pitches and, you know, he might <laughs> throw it somewhere near your mitt one or two times out of 10 and the rest are all over the place. It's probably not a good idea to set up on one knee. You want to get as athletic a stance as you can and just be ready for anything kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you know, setting up on one knee with runners on and in running situations, they found it's much more uh, natural and rhythmic movement to have your right knee down. Um, then you just press up out of your left leg. Your right foot can either stay planted or take a little bit of a tap step and then you let it fly. Um, going left knee down, a lot of times we just rock and fire. You know, there's uh, – the only one that I think I've seen do it is Real Muto with the yeah. left knee. He actually threw a guy out with a kickstand, like in a full kickstand. He drug his foot in and switched. I saw, yeah, I saw He's a unicorn, though. Exactly, exactly. And that's what I explained to the kid is not everyone's a Real Muto. So um, – and I've told the kids and, I, and I'll talk to them every time after we do our stances and setups, I'll say, raise your hand. If you like the left knee down, you know, raise your hand. If you like the right knee down, raise your hand. If you want nothing to do with one of these setups. And then there's almost always three or four hands that go up just because it's so new to them and uncomfortable. So then I talk to him and say, Hey, then it's um, because there are plenty of benefits. They're finding that it's helping catchers. So work on it in the bullpen. You know, when you're catching your pen, set up on one knee. Also, it's going to help you with your energy conservation. It's a lot easier to just rest on a knee than it is to try and hold yourself up. So um, work on the bullpen. So then you become comfortable, it becomes more natural, and then you can start incorporating into games depending on, you know, game situation. Okay. So what what's uh, on transfer? Like when you're in the spot that I don't like, right? What's the, what do you, what do you teach if they're doing that on that? Cause I'm, is it all the time or is it in that spot on a pitch and then someone goes and it, you know, you're stuck there and they do go, what just whatever you can naturally do. How do they teach the transfer on that? Yeah. You know, I think, uh, I doubt that the, the catcher's arm will stay in this position all the way to the point of reception when the runner takes off. Once okay. the runner takes off, I think, okay. we instinctu- I think we instinctually, you know, if you're a behind the leg guy or a thigh guy with your throwing hand, you know, runner takes off, your hand naturally starts to move somewhere by your, you know, your right yeah, yeah. Hand, belly button area, thigh area, and then your mitt will naturally start to adjust as that runner's coming. So we'll be more ready to, to exchange. So um, I think, you know, forcing them to stay here, that's just like you just said, it's really awkward, weird yeah. to try and exchange so i think once they they see runner or hear and or hear runner they'll they'll instinctually just turn their mitt and get ready to to receive whatever they need to so yeah. um, the only time we'll stay in that position is if the pitch is down you know by our our right foot and then we end up just uh you know doing whatever comes instinctually and naturally i think that's um one of the things that, and I touched on a little bit earlier, is the cookie cutter or creating robots. I think we need to let the catcher do, you do you. What works best for you? Um, 
in the way I say it to the kids too at camp is there's going to be some stuff that I teach you this weekend or this week that you better do it that way. It's going to mess you up. <clears throat> and then some of the stuff is just recommendations and it's going to be different for everybody. Hey, for you in particular, looking at your body type and how mm -hmm. quick or how, you know, how you move, I think this is going to help you. So I recommend you do it this way. But then I look at Timmy, the next guy comes up for the drill. And I'm like, you know what, this is going to be better for you. And, and uh, so yeah, forcing someone to stay thumb down and, and elbow up when a runner takes off, I think they'll instinctually drop the elbow, move the mitt, and then just, you know, get ready to exchange. Yeah. See, I just feel like that's it's so much to do on, I don't know. I just, I'm going to play with it. I'm going to play <laughs> with it. But uh, I just, I was, I was telling Tim Cousins as I was like, dude, I just don't, I can't think that that's a good for what there's so much it is is it pitch specific if you're setting up like that like yeah, is that I, in your mind you're thinking like down and away type thing yep I, again so there are some guys like a, a mitch garver um uh who's another one so you guys actually like uh they practice catching inside balls like that Inside, that, like inside to a righty. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what I think uh, what they're, I, I, we kind of jump topics. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. We, we, right. we do that. We do that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Um, so if, if a catcher, uh, if, if I'm expecting down and into a righty, down and away to a lefty, um, and I roll my mitt this way, I go palm down. Uh, what we don't want the catcher to do is go vertical. I'm going to slide over a little bit. Go vertical. So go boom, boom. We don't want to go one, two. We just want to get our mitt behind it here and have one move. Just a mitt turn and maybe a little subtle thing from my from my shoulder, shoulder and or rotating my elbow. We don't want them to turn do two moves by going vertical and then trying to snap it back to horizontal. Because again, our goal is to give the umpire a consistent look with a horizontal mitt position. So and if you watch, uh, again, we brought up Hedges earlier. Hedges is one of the best at this. Um, he actually, he, he rolls forward, but then he'll let his elbow flare up. He'll get that inside pitch. And then it's just a real quick snap and turn. So it's a, a supination of the hand and then maybe a little lift from the shoulder. And it's right there versus trying to turn it this way and either staying vertical or getting vertical and snapping back to horizontal. So we don't want to go one, two. We just want to go one. So they'll set their mitt up that way. They slide behind it, and then it's just a mitt turn up. And a lot of times, the ball will actually, when we pocket it, I never finish my top four. We got to two, and we're <laughs> on to three now, people. Follow along. Yeah, I'm right here with you. <laughs> three was give the umpire a consistent look, and then that's where we went on our little side stories there. So number four is pocket the ball. Uh, and the reason we want to make sure we, we understand pocket awareness and, and get the ball to hit the pocket. Which, that's what we're talking about right now. Anyways, exactly. we, we did it perfect, Todd. Exactly. exactly. Catch up, people. The, the ball will do the work for you, right? So yeah. on this pitch, um, in particular low, it hits the pocket and it snaps the mid up like the velocity. Like the quarter turn, yeah. yeah I, I, it, does, it does the work for you. Um, whereas, um, And then also, and I know you've experienced this, like you get that, that dang pitch in that one spot, and you get kind of handcuffed. Like, should I have went this way? Should I have went this way? Yeah. Sometimes you get thumbs. Sometimes you just clank it. Um, I think they found that turning it here and opening it is actually a little more natural um, 
and, 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 you know, especially if I sit up that way to just snap it up and not try and turn it all the way over and get, get handcuffed. Hmm. Uh, and it's funny cause I, I see, I see your look and I see your brain going and I, Oh, uh, it's going. <laughs> I don't know if you saw my uh, talk with uh, Piazza. Did you see, I did that interview with Mike Piazza? No, I'll have to. Yeah. Yeah. It's on my YouTube. So I just started YouTube and I thought I'd start one. doing, I talked to uh, different catchers. I talked to um, Piazza. I talked to Tony Walters. I talked to Tucker Barnhart. I actually just talked to Jerry Weinstein a couple weeks ago. I haven't edited it and put it up yet. But, oh, that'd be uh, cool. Yeah. Um, but when I was talking to Piazza, he said the same thing that you did. He has the same mindset that, that I did. Um, I was talking to him about how they're starting to teach elbow up on an inside pitch. So all we do is just turn and let the, the, the ball do the work. And he he said, crazy. he's like, no, I'm getting thumb. There's no way I want to turn my mitt that way. I'm going to turn it vertical and let it hit leather. And I'm like, I know I was the same way. Um, so again, I, if I'm see, that, see, am I, I, th I think you, that that's that get around to me when you're saying one, two, I think that's one move. I think that's two, one <laughs> elbow up. And then obviously it's weird. Cause like I said, Piazza where we're taught by those people, it is very foreign to us. This is why I wanted to talk to you because you do teach it so well. And I think you could articulate to me. And that's why I said at what cost, like I want to understand this. I'm not afraid to teach it. I'm not afraid to lean into it and accept it. But in order to, I have to like get it all. Yeah. To me, there's a there's a lot of gray area because knowing what they see, they see a lot of this stuff. I feel like there's more of that going on because they watch so much of this. Not so much the ball coming in. They watch a lot of this. Yeah. And if we're doing that, that seems like more movement to me than that you know what i mean yep i have i have a video um of uh, and you've you've done it with a lot more kids than i have yeah. so i I've, I've been teaching this i'm in the area of like maybe i'll do this let's talk to the guy right <laughs> let's go talk to the guy and have a deep discussion with and I, I remember when i decided to come to when i was talking with tim cousins like i'm gonna i'm tracking down this todd guy uh, call him right and i want to discuss this very thing and, and hear what you had to say because i'm as you can tell i'm perplexed no, no, no. i'm stuff. right there with you too and, and i'm not necessarily um the uh the the guru on this on this we've been researching it and you've been putting it out pretty good so that's yeah. why yeah so and, I, and in my opinion what i was about to say is i have a video of um perez of uh I think the height of the pitch is going to dictate whether I go thumb up or thumb down. Oh, so okay. All right. if it's, if it's at my knee and below and I'm <laughs> expecting it to go over there, I actually, from all my video analysis and watching the catchers that are going elbow up, thumb down, and just this turn here. And again, it hits and it snaps up on its own mm -hmm. um, versus trying to turn it all the way. Oh, I keep going out of the view of the camera, but trying to turn <laughs> it all the way over and bring it back. Um, it's it's they're getting more strikes here if i start to get a pitch that's near the kind of top of the zone so maybe somewhere around my left chest shoulder area so getting toward the top and i have again the picture of, of perez yeah he's here salvador perez and just just that quick turn that you were demonstrating yeah he got just outside of it so here's the pitch he got his mitt just outside of it 
and he was moving his mid. He was rotating it and bring it back in as he received it and then got back to horizontal that way. So high to pitch, well, obviously, as it goes higher, I'm not going to keep going up this way. That's going to be pretty hot, but I'm going to go ahead and turn it here. Um, and again, it all comes down to, which is a challenge sometimes because the pitchers aren't hitting their spots. And that's why I'm trying to explain to the kids is if I have Timmy, who's a stud, I might shadow my mitt over in that area, go thumb down because I'm expecting it to be right over here. And now my mitt's already there. So all I have to do is slide, adjust, um, adjust slightly to wherever that pitch is, let it hit pocket and snap it up. Or if I'm expecting a chase pitch, I might go ahead and turn my mitt vertical and put it down over there because I'm expecting it to be to go out more yeah and that that was one of my things is is it pitch specific because where if a ball does run there is a point where you end up you're gonna get thumb because the only thing that's there is your thumb yeah right and and then you're limited like you can only go this far and so this i can go further i can beat the ball more i'm more athletic to bring stuff over that's also i said would you do it not do it when someone's running because then you can't rake it in if you're kind of in this, you know, maybe you can just turn it over and go. But I, I just feel like there's a lot of movement and you're not in the athletics area of your hands moving anyways. Here's here's a really cool thing that's going on here. And I think it's important for anyone listening to understand. And again, I, I, I've said it several times here and I say it all the time is you do you. So mm-hmm. um, there's uh, um different pre-catch moves for all the different catchers there are guys that are Mm -hmm. elbow up thumb down rotate there are guys that are doing what you're saying so um and it's kind of it's a different topic but same kind of situation like tucker barnhart talks about if there's runners in scoring position he's like i can't get myself to get on one knee i just don't feel comfortable he said i'll do one knee with the runner on first and and i'll be able to throw out of that position and and you know if my focus is on stealing that strike, but the runner might go, I'll still sit up on one knee. But once I start to get guys in second and third, in particular third, he said, I can't get myself to get up on or or sit down on one knee. I stay up in a traditional secondary because that's what works best for me, both mentally and physically. And he's one of the best blocking catchers in baseball. I mean, yeah, he is. Yes. Um, So again, like if you were my catcher and I was working, you'd like, gosh, I just cannot, that just doesn't feel right for me. Then I would probably tell you, then don't do it. You know, you work on it and you'll, what you'll find is instinctually you'll go one way or the other, depending on the pitcher that's thrown, depending on what location you've called and what you see out of hand, you're going to just let you do your thing. And then there's been a couple kids that have kind of debated me on it. I don't, I don't get it. I don't like that. And I said, well, do this. They probably got a coach like me saying, no, <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> just start, just start paying attention to the outcome. Yeah. You know, what did you do? And did the umpire raise his right arm or did the umpire say ball? Did you, did you turn it this way and then stay vertical and got a ball? Did you go vertical and snap it back and get a strike? Did you do this and get thumbed? Then the next yeah. time you do this and get thumbed. And the next time you do this, and get thumbed, like, screw that. I'm going to keep getting thumbed. I'm going to do what doesn't get me thumbed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I would, I would tell that catcher to toy around with pre-catch move, quarter turn, relax down, thumb down figure out what works best for you and then just adjust, adjust, you know, accordingly. Yeah. I, I like it. I think you've, cause there's some kids that more naturally cause their wrist, their wrist and their hands, uh, as I, as I'm learning to coach people, right. And learning to coach kids and diving into this is realizing there's a lot of kids wrists don't move and aren't like mine. Right. Sure. And so I, 
teach them, and they are a little more athletic from this tilted position. So that's where I I started thinking, let's let's get into this. Let's see, because there are kids that I see that are in my lessons that I think that this might work. And before I taught it and started thinking about, it, I wanted to understand it more and sure. and give them the good things because I think that's the the good quality about catchers is I know that my way is not the only way. And I tell my kids that. And I think that's why I was so open to coming and learning and saying like, all right, Todd, tell me this, give me, give me some info on this, Uh, you know, have an intelligent conversation with me about this is because I don't understand it. It does feel weird to me, but doesn't mean that I won't teach it or accept it or uh, because even my own son on some of these, because he likes to, he doesn't like blocking. He gets away with picking a lot of balls and he is in this area, but his hands are so good, you know, he get, he does pick a lot. And what's the percentages on that? And so that's one of those debates on blocking, which I know you said mindset of blocking and teaching that is, and that's, I think that's the same thing with receiving. As you feel comfortable with something, I know it makes you a better receiver. And I have a couple of kids that I see they naturally want to target like this. They would naturally, that's their natural wrist athletic position. So why am I changing them to be like mine? You know? And so I wanted to be able to, to get some knowledge of that. And you've definitely given me that. So I appreciate it. It's very picture dependent too. So one of the things I run into all the time is I'll have uh, youth coaches, even high school coaches reach out to me and say, you know, all this pre-catch move and take the mitt to the ground and get below that low pitch you know, some of my pitchers are throwing the ball into the ground. Like they, you know, they like following the mitt. And then you'll have some pitchers that could care less where you put your mitt. They'll key off of a body part. They're going to throw at your chest, at your mask, at your left shoulder, right shoulder, left knee, right knee. Um, so again, it's pitcher dependent on what I do for my pre-catch move and my presentation of a target to them. Some want it early and keep it there as long as you can. And some could care less. So um, we're there for the pitcher. So we have to adjust according to the pitcher as well. Yeah, uh, that brings a good point. So I think that has a lot to do with communication with the pitchers, um, in which we kind of talked about. I stroked you a little bit on on your abil- ability to communicate with pitchers. What did you do, um, and, and what do you teach? Because on kids kind of interacting with their pitchers, starting to introduce that conversation with your pitchers to getting to know them, like what you know. When do you do this? Uh, I I tell them a lot, uh, like in bullpens, I want them to be very active in talking. I want to be very vocal, like, hey, good pitch. Overstroke them. Play with them. Make them feel the bullpen. Because I think that exercises, one, their leadership skills, but two, their communication skills. You know, sometimes you'll get kids back there that aren't like, they're like, good. You know, like, no, dude, like, hey, that'll boy, that popped. Yeah, be loud. You know the energy behind the plate. What do you, what do you do in your camps? Do you? Stre- I know you stress that. So tell me, <laughs> tell me some of the things that you do. Tell the kids and how to. That's how our. To bring that's, that up. That's, so that's our first talk at camp. I introduce myself. I give them a little preview about what's going to happen, and then I go into you know characteristics of a successful catcher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being a leader is number one. And then there's all kinds of different components to leader. It's your attitude, it's your effort, you know, uh, leading by example, as far as high energy. Um, and then we get into communication and being vocal. And there's always something to say as a catcher, 
Um, and I always use myself as another personal story example. I was as a kid, very shy and speak when spoken to. I would, I would like, if you said something to me, I was friendly and I'd answer your question. Same thing in class. I'd never raise my hand, but if the teacher called on me, I was paying attention for the most part and I would know an answer and I would answer, but I would never initiate talk, initiate conversation. Um, but one thing I learned really quickly is that personality doesn't work on a baseball field in particular mm -hmm. for a catcher. And so I had to learn to flip the switch in my brain. And so when I get on the field, you know, it's, I would never shut up, you know, hooting and hollering and snorting and snarling and, and doing my thing. Um, and the way I present it to the kids is if you were anything like me, it takes practice like anything else. Um, and the key is you have to have confidence in what you're saying. Like you have to know what the heck you're talking about, right? If you're mm -hmm. unsure, you're not going to speak up. Um, so it's just becoming a student of the game. And then just like you said, in the bullpens, it's all about the bullpens. That's when you're going to get to know each pitcher's personality um, and each pitcher's tendencies with their actual mechanics and their pitches. So um, it can't just be, you know, sit on an E back there and just be a backstop. You have to be paying attention to where, all right, so we're doing a set of, of fastballs. Hit a spot, hit a spot, spiked one. Oh, one, he spiked it. He fell off to the side. He did something different. What happened there? And, and you know, like try and pay attention and figure out, okay, when you overthrow, you yank your front side open, your energy goes to the side, you take the ball with you and you spike it. All right, now we're doing a set of breaking balls. Ooh, that was nasty. That was nasty. Ooh, he hung that one. What did he do? Um, you know, did he overstride? Did he cast out? Why did he cast out? Like got underneath it? Like what happened? So I always tell the kids, pay attention mechanically and the outcome of each pitch and really focus on, and obviously it takes some, repetitions if you're 10 you're just focusing on getting smoked in the forehead yeah but right <laughs> when, you, when you get older you yeah. can actually kind of receive a pitch while you're watching the pitcher at the same time like you see it all go down and you can see differences um and then also that's when you learn what pitchers you can go out there when they're struggling and mm -hmm. light their butts up you know what i mean and be a little mm -hmm. firm with who what you step on their foot and who to pat yeah. on the butt yeah and, and who you need to go out and say you're you're gonna be all right bud Take, yeah. take a breath. You know, you have to learn the personalities because some kids, some pitchers, you go out there and light their butt up. It's going to make it worse. They get mm. scared, like, especially, you know, for that level that I work at, if you're, if you're a, a, an a upperclassman and the pitcher's an underclassman and maybe you're a big, strong, talented guy and the pitcher's younger and smaller and then already intimidated, you go out there and tell them to quit throwing like a sissy. Let's go figure this out they're just going to tuck their tail more and it's going to snowball from there. It's going to be a, a mess. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, it's just, it takes practice like anything else. You have to have that game savvy and understanding of pitchers and pitching, um, which is actually a big, you know, so until COVID kicked in, I used to do super camps and we do field sessions, classroom sessions and gym sessions for these catchers. Oh, and one nice. of the classroom sessions, I'd have a pitcher come in and talk about, understanding pitching mechanics and understanding pitchers. What do they like to hear from their catchers? What do they not want to hear from their catchers? When to be approached, um, when not to be approached, you know, when to leave them alone. If they just had a gave up a four spot and, you know, walk three guys and then in between innings, you probably want to give them a minute to cool down. Don't just go right out to them, start talking to them about it's going to punch mm -hmm. in the face. You know what I mean? So understanding <laughs> pitchers and pitching personalities, understanding the mechanics, develop that game savvy and understanding of pitching mechanics and personality types. All of that is learned during bullpens personality. Obviously I know um, a lot of guys and I, you probably experienced this um, obviously at the level you played at, you guys would go out to dinner after a game sometime 
right? You know what I mean? And just yeah. get to know them on a personal level as well. It's a little bit hard to do sometimes in, you know, travel ball at a, at a 11 U team because everyone lives in different parts of town, but anytime, so any coaches that are watching this right now, anytime you can get like a team bonding thing going on, like do a barbecue, let the kids play with a ball, maybe put on a game on the, on the TV and let them watch a game mm-hmm. and get to know each other on that personal level. That's just going to help the team, you know, in particular the pitchers and catchers gel and understand each other and work together during the games. Um, that's better. Yeah. I, 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 that's a big part of what I do with my youth because I have 12 year old who plays and then, and yet, and then my t- other 12 year old actually plays soccer. And I do the same thing with them um, is kind of trying to create a culture around, you know, that team unity thing and stress. Even my little guys, my little eight year olds, uh, I stress to them. I saw them giving high fives and kind of encouraging each other. And I kind of stopped practice to bring them in to be like that. What you guys were just doing, creating a handshake, doing those things I make after the bullpens, I make these little kids come up and do some silly little handshake. But what, what's happening is they're connecting, working together. It's a stupid little handshake, but what they're doing is they're connecting, they're communicating and creating like a, a weird little bond that happens inside a team unit. And I think, I think it's important because once that communication skill comes aboard, you start to learn the energy of that guy. Absolutely. Then you start to understand how they work. And and the perception I put off as a catcher, that's that pitcher's reality. Sure. We can make him believe in a breaking ball that's good, that sucks. Yeah. But we made him believe in it first. Like, oh, that, he, he likes it. That was good. He'll start believing in it. And you watch. That thing will develop because then he starts anything in this game believes in confidence and and once you learn that skill as a catcher it's enormously beneficial to your entire team because that perception you get off people feed off of that you know that's that mental component and i think that's awesome i knew that you did that with your your camps and your stuff i didn't realize you actually did a classroom set that's brilliant i think i might have to steal that from you Uh, you (laughs) another hashtag todd uh product again (laughs) I think that's and I think that's because it's that important that communication and, and learning your pitchers. That's you know to be able to be a 12, 13 year old kid and say, "Hey, I think you should do this." You know, that's that's that would blow your kid's mind. Yeah, you know, with kids to be able to do that. And and the funny thing is, is baseball players we're all mental midgets, right? So, so getting a, a little stroke from your catcher to to give confidence or boost our confidence, it does wonders. And if you're aware of that as, as catchers, it's a huge skill to have. Yeah. You know what? Um, we were talking about pocketing the ball. Uh-huh. Uh, don't get lazy during bullpens. Yep. You make that pop sound during the bullpen. The kid might be throwing 79 miles an hour, but you make it pop and then give him a little bit of, yeah, buddy. Yeah. yeah. Like, Ooh, Man, I'm bringing it today. You know, the, 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 how we receive the ball and work with them during bullpens will matter as well. Correct. Correct. Uh, do we get to number four? Number three yeah. is pocketing. Four, we, we no, got no, to three, So uh, we'll review real quick. So number one on receiving was timing. Okay. Right. Um, being on time. And that just means getting the mitt moving toward the strike zone, not away from it. Relax and pre, 
pre-pitch, you know, our anticipation, so our pre-catch move is going to be in the area where we're expecting to go. Number two is move the ball. Sticking the ball is not wrong. Sticking pitches isn't wrong, but moving it is better. You can still stick them. If it happens, it happens. But the more we, you know, that little subtle move is going to help us. Number three was give the umpire a consistent look with our mitt position and the moves we make. And then number four was pocket the ball. Correct. All right. So having that pocket awareness, and that's a whole, that's actually one of my favorite drill series to do. I do a drill progression on, on pocket awareness. Um, and it, you know, what's funny is sometimes I get blasted on social media. I'll post like the little, the mini Frisbees, uh, oh, the little, yeah. little mini foam balls. Um, I'm a huge proponent of vision training, tracking, um, reaction time. Do you, do, you know any of the slow the game down? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and so I, well, I think he knows you. You guys are, you know, you know him, right? You know, Dr. Harrison and all them, the slow the game down stuff. You know what? It's, uh, I probably use some of his stuff, but I don't, I don't, that actually didn't, it's not ringing a bell right now. Okay. Uh, I'll, anyway. I'll have to, I'll have to introduce you. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be you great. Guys, yeah. Okay. okay. He, he does a lot of camps and where you're in division stuff. Oh, okay. The awesome. best in the game. And, and it's, there's a lot of stuff that he does, like the depth perception, the little balls and stuff, putting them together, making your eyes come up. And it's also another added fact to that is, uh, is concussions for catchers. And, uh, it's it, his, his eye drill stuff and depth perception. Major League Baseball has been, he's been working with them about, uh, concussion protocol and being able to, like, he can find things that, our depth perception and stuff isn't it will fade after so many blunt traumas to the brain. Let me, since you brought it up, let me ask you this as a guy who played at a high level. So I don't know all the science behind it. I know they're doing all kinds of research and force threes come out with the springy mask, mm -hmm. but then you talk to some other equipment developers and they'll say, ah, the springs actually create more of a, uh, of a, uh, concuss. I don't know what the fancy word is, but concuss concuss or whatever it's called. Um, but here's my question to you. I feel like, and it might just be as times have changed, there's been more research, but back when I was playing, it was all two piece. We had those mm -hmm. huge poofy chin and forehead, um, pads. Yep. When we take a foul tip, we had the cushion and the mask could fly off. Mm -hmm. Now with the hockey style, it's stuck on my head. I feel like it's less padding. And I feel like that's when they really start talking about more guys getting concussions. Do you think it has anything to do with the old school versus new school? And I've heard a lot of people say, no, the hockey style are better for concussions. I'm like, man, I don't know if I buy into that. Yeah, it's – it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I think if because what they've done is they've done the set studies where the energy kind of goes into the mask, your jaw gets hit on the, on those two-piece. Uh, your jaw gets ringed. You may get the – I've had the bars come all the way back and hit my chin because oh, right? wow. uh, no. it concussed. And – just because I got a long face, so my face hangs out of the mask usually. Right. So the horse face, but uh, uh, it would it would definitely move the energy. I agree with you with the two piece. Um, I end up going to the one piece because I got backswing, cup of the bat, backswing, and like cut my ear off, and end up having to have it like sewn on with a little drain thing oh. in it, right, and. Uh, I was with the Astros, and they're like, hey, you got to wear this helmet or you're not catching because I was Mr. Old School, two-piece yeah. mask, no way, because I thought it looked sick, and I liked it, right, <laughs> yeah. having a two-piece mask. But once I got that helmet on me, the vision and being able to be athletic and do things, 
after my tube and everything got out, I went back to a two piece and I was like, whoa. So I think it is a vision thing. I do agree with you with it stuck to your head. I think that direct trauma, there's nowhere for the energy to go. Right. That's direct. Because when I've had them hit direct on my forehead, right in that spot, the mass doesn't move off. The energy, it, you can see it clear as day with the two piece. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know I have some sort of brain trauma there. Because all those times, I can't, I mean, think of all those times you've been hit and you see that flash of white or whatever, and you're kind of like dizzy. There's a weird dizziness, and you're just like, okay, let's go. And then three pitches later, you get another one. I think on the side ones where the the ball hits kind of on the side with the hockey mask, it, it directs off a little bit better. Okay. But that mask would fly off too. So I do agree that, that the the one piece takes more energy off, but man, it you can, I don't know. Even with that, I I'd still go hockey mask. Cause I was, you know, I had the painted mask and all that stuff, but sure. I could see better. I just could see, I felt athletically. It was something I was willing to risk <laughs> I was for, for vision. I got hit one time in the mask and I'm sure I, I'm sure I had concussions at some point. And just like you say, just, Oh, whatever. Here we go. Next pitch. Yeah. Exactly. But I got hit one time in the mask where it hurt. I was playing with the Phillies. Um, Dave Coggin, who's PFA Mm -hmm. uh, baseball. He's got some really good stuff. He's that pocket. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, You like that thing? You know, he sent me one and we talked about doing it for catchers and I actually reached out and said, Hey, let's have a really good in-depth talk because I feel like, the arm action is different for a catcher than what you're teaching with this. I'm like, I don't, I feel like most of the best are kind pitchers, of pitchers. They're even pitchers. They're even starting to a little talk a little bit shorter yeah. too. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so um, we're going to have a talk and, and, and discuss and see if it's something I, I might be able to use. But anyways, he was, he was like a hundred mile an hour throw. He's like, you know, 94 yeah. to 97 on a good day. He would, he would really get it up there. And he threw this fastball. The guy just barely nicked the bottom of the ball and went right over the top of my mid and it hit me on the chin extension and it felt like Mike Tyson hit me. I fell back and the umpire umpire caught me. Both sides of my jaw were sore for like the next week. It literally was like getting punched by a, by a, you know, like I say, like Mike Tyson or something. Um, but that was the one time I got hit in the mask and it hurt that I can remember of my, you know, all the way from youth up through minor leagues. I, I, really? I just I, one. You're yeah. lucky. Just yeah. one. Oh, I for sure have brain damage <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, and that's uh, one of the, one of the things that I, cause this is kind of backed by mental health. My little brother had brain trauma. I for sure think that he had some brain trauma. He committed suicide. And I think that that brain trauma, now we're starting to learn how serious it is. And on the prefrontal cortex, so those for catchers, that consistent, Boom, boom, boom. Uh, one of the things that I actually I've been working with some of the all-star guys, my training glove, we never got to this, but isn't this like the greatest thing ever? I love him. Yeah. Stan's right? awesome guy. Man. Stan, and I've been working with Stan, Stan Jr. Um, about some concussion stuff because I was, you know, and some of the things that you can do. Uh, Stan Jr. actually came up with this ice helmet. Have you seen that? Seen it, yeah. And being able and the, to increase uh, prevention of brain injuries for, for catchers, 
and especially the kids that are back there all the time, like the travel ball guys that are probably tuning in and coming to your camps and uh, my camps is uh, they're, they're catching a lot. They're getting a lot of foul balls and to be able to ice your brain or bring Brent down your brain temperature after those, they're finding benefits of uh, reduced brain injuries off of that, which is if my brother had that, who knows, you know, maybe he wouldn't have had his, his issues. Yeah, sorry to hear that. I mean, that, and was he a catcher too? Is what you're saying? Oh, he was. He was a catcher, but what he was, he was actually the first Utah blue chip All American for football. Oh, okay. And you know, back in the day, you know, when we were taught, it was fly in with your head, right? Sure. There right. wasn't. It wasn't any of this going on. It was like, Ugh! and and he was known to lay the head. So, um, uh, and yes, he was a catcher as well. And he was more of a strong physical catcher. I would almost say like a Krauts type of guy. He was yeah. he was pretty stocky. He made me look like a little skinny runt. So he could, you could tell you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he – and this was when we were younger. So he, he was that type of physical guy, and he, he had that. But, um, yeah, he had some brain trauma, I, without a doubt. I think that's what – so I, I like to bring up the fact things that we could do is look up that – that uh i forget what the name of it the stand called it it's like an ice cryo something right thank you yeah cryodome or something like that there you go i i have one actually out there it'd be good to bring that up on one of these maybe when i do it with stan because i i got a i got one in the works with him a podcast but um that was that was something to to prevent brain injuries that i think is important to bring up do you do you see guys do you, do you ever talk about getting hit in the head? Do you see guys getting the head? Only when it comes up. So I, I, I'm not in the game anymore. Like I don't go out to games and coach games. I just do the instruction. I teach the position and teach the fundamentals and that kind of stuff. So the only time uh, brain injury and, and foul tips and stuff comes up, if someone asks during the game, oh, did you wear a two-piece or a one-piece? Yeah. My last year playing was 96 when Charlie O'Brien was first wearing it. It was <laughs> that old I am. It was just coming out when I was finishing playing. So I stopped playing and then the, the helmet became really popular. So um, that's the only time we really talk about it. Yeah, that's that's kind of why I was asking. Is is I've I've had that question quite a bit too. Is about that. And I was are... trying to be honest. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's a science behind it. I know what I wore and what I did and what I experienced. And I'll tell them the story about getting you know hit on the chin extension. The only time it ever hurt me. Um, and I was like, it's got to be you do you research, and I'm not going to tell you to one wear one or the other, and then have you get hurt and blame it on. Yeah, brain, brain. brains are scary. Brains are yeah. scary to to toy with but um yeah i i did it just for vision but also too there's there's science of where it does deflect it um mm-hmm. uh, tell you what i'll stay tuned i'm gonna heavily bring that up with stan jr because he i know they've done they've done you know him he's done the research and and that's his that's his world so they're the ones that came up with it so we'll see we'll get real answers soon yes i'll listen to that one for sure yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, have to reach out with, I mean, this was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, I think when you're with another cow tell, you can always get along and, and see how did I, the stuff you've given me has been super beneficial. I appreciate it from me trying to learn and like you, I think I just want to spread this awesome position and skill set and experience with as many people as I can. And, uh, if you're in town or you're doing stuff around here, which I heard you have, I think Pulse, you know Pulsen, right? 
Jaron? Jaron. He's done catcher. some his yeah, cash. He's quite a catcher, right? What, oh, I love what, that. Yeah. What a talent. He's awesome such a family. Yeah. And so uh I know that he, he said that he that you were out here at a camp one time. If you're ever out here, feel free to call me. I'd love to help you uh on anything you do. And maybe we can collaborate on some other fun, make some sort of catcher nation camp or something. I don't know. No, I'm in. Yeah, I'll be back actually in Salt Lake um, or in uh, Draper, I think, is where. Uh, yeah, Juan, that's, yeah, that's right. We're up by me. I'm right in okay, Bluffdale. Juan, Juan Diego High School with Coach Bird. Um, huh. uh, August 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, I think, is is what it is uh, this summer. Um, okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely keep in touch. Well, I'll heck, I'll bring my kid out. And uh, if I can help you in any way, assist you around there, I'll, my son will be there to learn. So I, I, I look forward to that. And maybe we'll have you in studio. Oh, we'll, yeah, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll have to go out to the cage, nerd out, and uh, make another catching podcast, if you will. Sounds we, good. We can, one. we can physically help me and show me how to do it. That's what I was about to say. I want to say one thing because I can tell you're still not still on the uh, – Oh, I'm going to go out there and – yeah, I'm going to experience it because I want to be able to – I do believe certain pitches. I'm sold on certain yeah. – I can see how it's beneficial – here on this, not sold out. I'm not sold out. I'm going to have to go out there and hit the cage a little bit and do some work. <laughs> start off like we do in camp. We'll start off with just an underhand flip, and I'll just pepper right right around their left shin. I'll get them in a traditional and put okay. it right to their left shin or set the left knee down and throw it at that left knee and just try it. And you can even throw it three or four baseballs outside of the knee or outside of the foot. And work uh, on and move, yeah, working and it back. Work, and you try it too, and you'll feel. And then, and then you know, start maybe – here with your mitt and then try and go over back and then go up like try each that's what i had to do yeah, okay before i was like gosh it does it does feel cleaner but there is a spot there's a point where you're screwed you know what i mean like yeah. you, you have to and i've actually posted a video about maybe it. that maybe that's knowing your picture the guys yeah. that will know you know maybe exactly that's. i have a, i have a put a video i'll have to post it again because it's pretty crazy um Contreras catching 102 and it looked like a slider chapman's uh fastball cut so much it looked like a slider and Contreras just threw his hand out there and somehow it stayed in his glove and then i have a picture of uh in his mitt um and then a picture a video of posey catching a lincecum uh oh yeah whatever it is and it just took off and the same thing like you'd be amazed at how far out you can go and still catch i keep going out of the screen again but it's okay yeah (laughs) Yeah. So, but well, it they, does. It, it does. Like the glove, I can see how the glove physically is probably pretty good because the pocket is open. Yeah. And if you're having trouble beating the ball and being athletic to do that, which I have seen with some of my guys, yeah. Um, Look, maybe that maybe maybe certain guys that is better athletically to move that way. Yeah. And like I said, I'm. I feel like that's what's helped me be stay in the game and was the type of catcher I was because I was. I was open to these things when the whole saver metrics and all that stuff came in. I did. I wasn't like, eh, you know, no, no, I don't want those numbers. I don't, I don't need that Bloomberg iPad with all those numbers. <laughs> like I accepted it and I know that it made me better. So th- this new stuff is, there's a reason there's numbers that's doing it. There's certain areas I may not agree with. Like you said, do yeah. you Yep. love that? And, uh, I'm, I got a lot from this. I'm going to, I know I've become a better coach today because of you, Todd, so I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the kind words for sure. And I 100% want to do it again, and I'll be in touch. uh, Cool. uh, 
for when I come out there. That'd be awesome. I'm gonna have to get some of that sick catcher swag that you got rolling too. Let's do it. Get, so, uh, what? Give me, give me your a uh, lot of your handles. Where, how can people reach you? Find that cool gear that you have on. Uh, tell me about your platforms. Pretty simple. It's it's always the catcher guy. They can search the catcher guy. So I'm on um, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The big three they call them. Um, I just recently started YouTube, so there's not a ton of uh, content on there, but there is some some. That's the way to go now, too, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. The Mike Piazza interviews on there. The uh, Tucker Barnhart interviews on there, and I just uploaded Tony Walters last week. Um, I'll put J Dub up there soon. Um, so, but yeah, it's just, uh, the catching guy and any of those, and I'll pop up every once in a while. Someone else will have the catching guy in their name, you know, someone trying to, I don't know, not necessarily copy me, but get people to their page. Um, but it's pretty easy to find just to catch a guy. And then my website is the catching guy.com. Uh, all my events I'm, I'm scheduled out through August now. Um, so all my upcoming events are on there. Um, all my, uh, Virtual programs are on there. We got Mint Magic for receiving, Drop Your Pot for throwing, Be a Wall for uh, for blocking, which we never even got to talk about throwing or blocking. I know. Well, see, the, physically we can do that. That's our next podcast, man. When you there come, go. there we we'll, go. We'll schedule that. You can come over and hang out. Sounds good, <laughs> man. You've been awesome. Uh, I like what you're doing. Keep sp- spreading the love and the knowledge of catching. I think what you're doing is awesome, and you're, you're getting out there and you're doing it right, man. So. Um, um i'll be watching i'm a fan and uh i appreciate what you gave us today awesome thanks for having me on had a blast all right you too man talk to you soon take care see you bye it's the behind the dish podcast with john buck